Welcome to Uncontained, episode 37. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and this is the Uncontained Halloween episode. And I don't think we've had a more fitting guest for a Halloween episode. The guest today is Justin Beam. He's written in many, many horror magazines, to name a few. Fangoria, Scream, Delirium, Famous Monsters of Filmland. Justin's also been in Sharknado, directed and produced Demonica, which he acted with Dan Hample, former guest of the show, who I owe a huge thank you to for helping set up this interview. Justin's also directed 30 Years of Halloween. He has a short film coming out in 2017 called Only Dream of Me, which we get into talking about on the show. And in addition to all that, he finds time to host his own podcast called the Justin Beam Radio Hour. Throughout the show, we talk about how he got into horror, his favorite horror creatures when he was a kid, um, how horror sometimes mirrors his life, and that's not near as dark as it sounds, but we cover a wide variety of topics on this show, and hopefully it'll help get you in the mood for Halloween. So try in some costumes, light some jack-o'-lanterns, play some blood-curdling screams in the background, and listen into my conversation with Justin Beam. How's it going, Justin, and welcome to Uncontained. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It was really, I love the concept for the show and I'm, I'm really excited to be on here with you. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. And yeah, it's a, it's kind of a labor of love slash wanting to learn more myself about the industry as well. Sure. Absolutely. There's no better way than through discussion. You can read all you want, but until you live it and especially have a chance to talk shop with people who have been in the thick of it. You know, you really haven't gotten the full flavor. So I think this is a fantastic idea. Well, thank you. So you have done a lot focused towards the horror genre. Mm -hmm. You're a writer. You've written for Fangoria. Uh, You have articles coming up in a couple new magazines, which we'll get into. But could you fill us in on your journey and how you became a writer and got involved in film? Yeah, it's really born out of... um a curiosity that was, uh, I guess the seed was planted when I was a kid and I first encountered this series of books called the Crestwood House Monster Books that my, the, Mar- the Marion, Iowa, where I grew up, our little library had. And there was a series of books, each one focused on a different film monster. So Frankenstein, Wolfman, okay. so on and so forth. And it, but so, but it wasn't just about the universal cycle for each one of those monsters like a lot of these books are so you would have pictures from films from around the world in them primarily like the hammer films and the universal stuff but it, they got pretty adventurous anyway so i love these things i and i it was my introduction to mythology as much as it was to creature lore and and film in a lot of ways too and i would read these i just pour over this series of books just wearing them out before i had even seen the movies and Eventually, I uh, started tracking the, the films themselves down on video and started with a lot of the universal stuff and just fell in love with it. And, that you know, horror is a pretty amazing genre in that it has a million subgenres, but also it feeds itself. And the fans from the get-go are as intrigued by 
what's on screen is what's happening behind the scenes. And so my curiosity was piqued at a really early age. And you start reading about one guy, one director, and then they reference two other directors. So you look them up and it just leads you on this amazing sort of roadmap through time and through cinema that led me down all kinds of roads. And okay. so from humble beginnings of reading these little books, I started exploring and tracking down and renting as much as I could, wherever I could. And it, that never stopped. That curiosity to this day, it's just such a thrill to discover new talent, find new artists who are out there plying their trade and, and who do it really well. It's one of the greatest rewards of being a film fan is this discovery because it's never going to end. And that's pretty amazing. So it began when I was a little kid, never really stopped. What was your favorite creature as a kid? What one caught your attention the most? It's always been Frankenstein for me. I, I think that, well, first was Frankenstein and I was fascinated by the idea of, I guess, reanimation and the, in a way, I guess maybe my child's eye related to this thing that was forced to wake up when it didn't want to and then sort of poked out into the world and trying to find its way around and screwing everything up and making messes and then trying to just find some place to go. Uh, you know, that was their home. <laughs> and I felt, you know, a, as a kid, I think we all kind of feel that way. That's part of the magic of these movies. They're adult, but they're also kid friendly in a lot of ways. And so Frankenstein always appealed to me that way. Now, then over time, I became really attached. I, I love all of them a lot. I, I've written a lot about the creature from the Black Lagoon, like for Famous Monsters magazine. I did some pieces on that. And the Wolfman is a, as time went on, the Wolfman became one of my my other favorite because especially in the in the universal cycle of films it's just such a tragic story of this character of lyle talbot who just is afflicted he gets bitten by this wolf and he has he's forced into this life that he doesn't want to be a part of and he once he figures out that he can't really die all he wants to do is die or be healed and by the time you get to the third film he's literally just hunting for death. So he reaches out to Dr. Frankenstein, hoping he can fix him or kill him. And that's, it's like this great tragic arc, which the creature from the back lagoon, also a tragic arc to that story as well, where this thing is pulled out of its environment and yeah. man tries to, tries to mold it into something over the course of three films. And at the end of the third one, the creature finally just says to hell with it. And even though he can't swim anymore, cause his gills are all, uh, ruined from being burned he just decides to drown himself in the ocean so i mean real tragedy to these films but so beautifully done and way mature and yet also somehow they have they, they carry that wistful something that makes a kid fall in love with it and not be scared because i was never scared i was just always fascinated Okay. Okay. Was there something that drew you to say the darker characters or is it just coincidence that both the creature from uh, the black lagoon and the wolf man were on the darker side? You know, that's a really good question. This is something when I, I was interviewed, I once did an interview with John Cusack on the set of the, of the Raven. Have, have you seen that film? The Raven? the raven no i've seen the crow but uh okay. it's the, 
a little different yeah I mean, yeah <laughs> i mean and the soundtrack for the crow is fantastic to this day one of my all-time favorite albums the reason but, i brought but, that up is because i almost said yes thinking of the crow <laughs> oh yeah well this is in this one cusack who's incredible anyway he plays yes. edgar Allan poe oh, and okay. it's it's the story of him being employed to try and help the solve a series of murders that are based on his books based on his i should say stories and and it's a a unique take on poe it's a fun fictional way to tell a story a fictional approach with that character and cusack's great in it but he and i got in this conversation about darkness and artists like the darkness in poe what drove him and why so many artists fly so close to the ether or swim in it one or the other yeah and often it's not always to their benefit but at the same time it's like feeding off of it and i and i remember him talking about that you, in order to understand the light you first have to understand the dark and that makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways in life where to appreciate the good things you have it almost benefits you to come at them from a background of knowing loss knowing being without them the absence and it's the same thing that uh uh the, the Harry Manfredini, who scored the Friday the 13th films, I once was at a film festival where he was speaking about composing, and he's like, silence is as important as the note. And it is, because you can use, you can do so much with silence. Yeah. And um, so with, with a similar thing here, where it's like, you need to understand the darkness to be able to swim in the light, but also it's not bad to swim in the dark either. I've always found myself drawn to tragic characters just in general, I think. Okay. Uh, from 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 age I my first interest in music on my own that I found on my own was Buddy Holly. And you can't get into Buddy Holly without instantly learning that he died in tragically in a plane crash. And in Iowa and of all places. Of course. And then that leads to I mean, I'm a huge Elvis fan, of course, tragedy. Um, the Doors, Jim Morrison, big influence on me when I was in high school, especially musically. Uh, of course, tragedy there, and with li- in literature and music and everything, and even now too in what I write, I write my characters in the same way. Like there's tragedy just, just oozing from all of it. So why I don't really know, but um, it's definitely a hallmark of everything, most everything that I enjoy. When I think about it. <laughs> I don't know okay. what that says about me, but <laughs> who are we to judge, right? <laughs> yeah, there's no judgment in it. It just is. But I, you know, you, you just you start to hear yourself say these things, and you, the the wheels start turning. Like what? Why? I wonder why. Yeah, we're all the product of so many influences, and that and it is always changing, and especially in our youth. And when you start looking back at the consistencies throughout life, of which there are actually pretty few you find these things like that, like that element of, of that darkness is something I hadn't thought a lot about. Yeah. It, it really is true. And so it's uh, almost uh, like taking yourself to the shrink, like asking yourself, how does that make you feel? Right. Yeah. And I, well, and I, and I honestly believe that I think that we can't benefit enough from spending time with ourselves in that way. So self, you know, looking into ourselves, the introspective moments are so few, but so rich and so valuable. 
So I try to be present and I try to be aware of myself as best I can, but you know, you, you get caught up in the wash of the day to day and sometimes you just in the current, you forget to pause and think yeah. about that. But, so this is a great chance to do that. Yeah, definitely. That is very important. Not enough people really take the time to do it. It's easy to yeah. get distracted with like phones, computers, gadgets of all sorts. But right. let's talk about what you have going on right now. One interesting thing is your podcast, the Justin Beam Radio Hour. W- Want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, I've. thank you for bringing it up. I can't, it took me a long time to turn the corner on actually deciding to do the show. I've always enjoyed being on other people's shows, and there's a number of them that I've frequented over the years. And the format just is so exciting because, as you found here with your show, there's no boundaries, there's no filter, and there's nothing to restrict content at all. It's literally just feeling in, feeling out. So it's it's a really pure form of expression, which is kind of rare, especially yeah. in a in a broadcast form of media. And so I've and and as as I do these shows, I always walk away and I'm always like, man, what a it's so much fun! And you get fired up, especially on the longer shows that I used to do. Like there was someone I'd be on for like three hours, and when you're that in depth into a conversation, it's hard to get off the phone. <laughs> and I but I'd have to. I'd be like, oh man, I got to get to writing this thing or I got to leave to do whatever. And I always wanted to return to it. And, but I just finding the time has been hard. And so finally, um, about a couple years ago, I came back from, I I had been working in a real intense period in California and a number of years leading up to that. So leading up to like 2013, 2014, and I came back to Iowa to sort of unplug and slow down because I was taking way too much on all the time. And it was just, it was really hard. And I came back and decided to sort of just chill, do family stuff and uh, do things on my own terms instead of being beholden to 20 different projects and production houses and whatever else. So during that time, eventually uh, I, I found my, I had the unfortunate and in some ways fortunate uh, occasion to, I got in a car accident in January of this year, a real I'm, bad car accident. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was, well, and you know, this is, it's an odd thing because I've, when I was a kid, I, I got in a couple little fender benders, nothing bad really. There was one where I got rolled and was very lucky when I was in high school. So that was kind of strike one, <laughs> but this, this one was obviously out of the blue and uh, not my fault and ended up completely transforming my life. But one of the things it did was it forced me out of work. It forced me out of everything. I ended up on a bunch of different medications and uh, going through therapy and all this other stuff for my spine and everything, which I'm still going through. I'm still dealing with. I'm going to the University of Iowa in a couple of weeks for the next phase with this surgeon down there. So all these things in this there was a great fog for a long time because of all the medication that I was on. But I, I, I met the woman that is now going to be my wife. Oh, uh, wow. Kendra. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we never would have had the occasion. Like we, we knew each other uh, th- for, for a, a, quite a while beforehand, but never as intimately as we got the chance to 
when I was having this downtime. It was just like the perfect collision of worlds and time. And the greatest blessing of the whole thing. I mean, I, I, I joke that I could thank the lady who caused the accident here. <laughs> Essentially, she pulled out in front of me and I hit her because she gave me the greatest gift here in Kendra. And so now we're, we just got engaged and getting married next year. That's great. So that was, yeah, thank you. I've never been happier. That, so even despite this, that was blossoming in the background. And then as they were tapering off some of the medication and stuff, that was slowing me down sort of physically. Okay. Um, I, I felt a real creative surge and got back in, involved in a lot of things writing wise and a lot back into the magazines and I had contributed a chapter, a couple chapters to a book and so a couple books, actually a couple things and just really got in the role. But I, then I got to thinking about what else can I be doing here? Like what's the next step? What's the next phase? And I thought podcast seemed like a natural way to go. And I have, I've record, I've done, hundreds of interviews for all these different magazines and different entities over the years. I have them all recorded. And that, that was my initial concept was I'll just pull these out of the archive, do a little intro to each one and just throw them out there. But then I thought, well, I can always use those. How about some new content? And then I just started building on the idea of maybe five new episodes and then maybe one from the archives and then five new episodes, one from the archives kind of a thing. And that's how it was born. And you know what this kind of reminds me of the conversation that we were having earlier, like about the uh, about the creatures and having to know the dark to get to know the light, you know, kind of going through like lightness coming from the darkness of your car accident. Mm, very true. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. just totally proving or giving another example of what we talked about earlier. Well, that, and, and, you know, I hadn't even crossed that bridge before, but that's totally true. And you have an op in every day in life. We have an option. We have the ultimate option every day. And, and that is what am I choosing to invest myself and my energy in? And it doesn't matter what your situation is. If, if you're bedridden and you can't move, if you're, if you're an, an athlete and you're out, you know, running your ass off every day, whatever it might be, like we can choose how we invest in what we do. So I could have sat here and just con continued to sort of be the victim in this whole thing. I could have just chosen to uh, succumb to the, the pain and the medication and the terrible schedule and all this other crap. But I, but I made the, I made the call. It's like, no, there's so much more to be found here. And Kendra helped open my eyes to that. She, she, she carried me through the fog. I guess you, you could say it's almost uh, cinematic in that sense that you can just imagine someone in the woods, in the, in the fog and someone coming to carry them back to safety. I mean, that was really that. And she's been such an incredible blessing for me on every front. But, uh, so my guiding light for sure, but I would have never been able to see that had the fog not been there yeah so not that i didn't appreciate her as a friend before but like that to, to really get a chance to know it to know her and to find what we found and then now with the writing and some new magazines i had never been involved with before and books and stuff it's crazy it's just wild like you can really you literally can make of any situation what you want to you can
Exactly. Um, my personal situation where it was kind of you have I have a choice on how I can deal with something. I I actually was living in Iowa at the time too. I'm originally from a small town called Elburnett. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I was living in Cedar Rapids at the time, and I was 27. I actually had a stroke of my retinal artery, and it left me blind in my right eye. So it was like I was in the hospital, you know, they were doing tests on me, like people were coming in, looking at me like, oh, my God, this is common in like 80 year olds, but in 27 year olds, it's unheard of. But I made the choice right there. I could either sit in the corner and cry about it, which wouldn't fix my eye, or I could, you know, just make the best of it and move on. My way of dealing with it was humor. You know, like I was making jokes like, thank God I'm not ambidextrous or else I'd be blind in both eyes. You know, the whole uh, <laughs> guess what they said about masturbation is right thing. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but if I didn't make fun of it, I probably would have, it probably would have drawn me crazy. You know, that's how I deal with stuff is make fun of it. But as you said, everybody has a choice of what they could do. You can let a car accident ruin you, even though you are still in pain, you know, still recovering from it. You can move forward, start your podcast, write some articles for some new magazines and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really incredible, man. And and as you find every day, it, it wasn't a one-time decision to, up. Oh, I'm going to flip the switch. I figured this out. It's a daily. You, you're having to approach the same. Uh, the same situation every day. Like the, the the decisions are many, and it gets so easy to fall back at any time into, the sort of mire. Oh yeah. But and to not do that, to it, it, perseverance isn't about a, a moment of grand sort of arrival. It's about every day finding arrivals and every day finding the ways to to make of what you have everything that you can. And I think that's where a lot of folks lose lose strength over time is because they might not they're not in it. It's, it's hard to do the long haul. It's hard to fight the long fight. And when you're dealing with something that isn't going to go away, it doesn't, it, it has to transition at some point from something that isn't going to go away to something that I have. Yes. You know what, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I don't know how, if you feel this way, but I've, it's okay to like have moments when oh, you're yeah. down and you think about it, but like, like when I bump into something on my right hand side or, you know, something like that, I get a little bit like oh, frustrated for a minute, let it bother me for a minute. Then I, you know, on to the next thing, but yeah. can't dwell on it. Did it, did you find that you, how, how did that impact your like equilibrium and um, just like, I mean, your it, general activity and everything? My General activity, okay, the it messed with my depth perception the most, I'd say. My equilibrium oh, sure. was pretty much fine, but like if somebody were to throw a ball directly at me, a basketball directly at me or something, I'd end up reaching for it when I didn't need to, and it'd like hit me in like the you know where you bend your elbow. Like mm-hmm. it'd be like, okay, I didn't need to reach for that. 
Um, but like I could tell a lot better if it was like thrown off to the side of me, I could catch it over there. You know, it takes some getting used to my death perception is a lot better now than it used to be. And it's, it's mainly the fine tuned stuff, you know, like when you're reaching out to touch something, you kind of approach it a little bit slower. Um, but like say like if I, and also going away from me is different too. Like I could still shoot a basketball. All right. But somebody threw it to me. I'd be like, Oh God, panic mode. Don't throw anything to me. Right. Right. <laughs> That's fascinating. So, well, how does your, you mentioned that depth perception is sort of getting better. How does your body train into getting better with that? Like how, what, what can you do to actually help develop that? Um, well, you know, your mind is pretty powerful. It can like help compensate for your eye eventually, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think it's just, over time doing stuff like I intentionally like like play catch with people to try to get my you know at least confidence to know okay I don't need to reach for that it's coming here you know so it's just mainly doing things that involve death perception interesting that's fascinating man well I mean what what a story and then for you to come out of it that way and humor is such a great way to deal with challenges of any kind yeah i think it's such a healthy outlet and i i had plenty of friends to help make fun of me too you know uh (laughs) (laughs) the good ones always are exactly exactly (laughs) like my friend doug um we were talking about this last time we we saw each other but he was like standing on my right side he was like hey let's play hide and seek he's standing in front of me then he walked to my side he's like come find me So that's awesome that you've had a lot of good stuff happen because of this incident that you had to face. Um, You mentioned that you were writing for a couple new magazines. Uh, What magazines are you writing for now? Well, in the historically I've written for my mainstay was always Fangoria. Okay. and And also a lot for famous monsters of Filmland and, uh, some for Horror Hound, um, all the main uh, genre film magazines for the most part, right? And um, a few music magazines in the past, but now, so I am writing for like I have articles in now or coming out soon in Delirium magazine, which is relatively young. I think they're only about ten issues in, and that's published by. Uh, Charles Band, who runs Full Moon Pictures. Okay. He did like the Puppet Master films and stuff, but he's the publisher. It's not a Full Moon publication. It's not about Full Moon products. It's really, it's the editor is Chris Alexander, who I, Chris and I were like, we, we came in, Chris came into Fangoria as the editor back maybe 2000, maybe 2009 or something. And that's when I got in at Fango too, 2008. And, and he took the, the magazine had been pretty stale at that point. And he just brought a lot of fresh blood into it. Like me, a lot of fresh perspective on, including a lot of international and independent cinema, things that the magazine could really use. So it came back into its own. And the magazine is really, 
stumbled and faltered and is kind of just gasping on its knees right now. So Chris had left about a year ago, took over a website, shocktoyourdrop.com, and, <laughs> and started uh, I like Delirium. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a Monster Squad reference. But in, and so he and Charlie Band came up with this idea for Full Moon to do this magazine, Delirium. And Delirium really is sort of what we were doing with Fangoria back in the last Golden Age, but without any filter. Like even there, we had pretty much free reign, but nothing as open as what Delirium is now. I mean, from okay. content, from nudity through to whatever, like there's literally no filter on anything. So it's an exciting magazine to be a part of, and it feels really punk rock. It's assembled pretty quickly and raw, and it's a great magazine. So Delirium is out there now. I have I was in the last issue, and I'm in the next one that has um, uh, Neon Demon on the cover, I think. And then also Scream Magazine, which is the internationally the biggest horror magazine out of the U.K., and they have been going strong for a few years now. And now actually with the last issue star in U.S. Uh, bookstores as well now, like Barnes & Noble. And this scream is interesting because it feels more like vintage Fango. So F Fango being the benchmark for horror film magazines, uh, the, these two brands, I think Delirium and Scream, give you a nice blend of what was and what was at the end. Okay. Plus some, so they're both very, very good magazines. Um, those are those are two that I'm doing a lot of stuff for now, and I also am now on the team for the new official Kiss magazine. <laughs> when did the new Kiss magazine come out? It's kind of amazing that a band that was huge as long ago as they were is still putting out magazines. You know? Yeah, they're they are out. I mean, they're still selling so uh, incredibly successful band i mean they're i don't maybe second to none when it comes to marketing and continuing to do new approaches to touring they've changed their lineup a bunch of times over the years they've it's it's one of the most diverse bands in rock and roll and that's why they've endured yeah and they sound I mean, technically, in a lot of ways, they sound I mean, almost better than they ever have right now. I'm a huge fan of the original lineup, but just technically speaking and going for the experience of the show, they're so tight and clean, drug free. I mean, they're just a, they put on an incredible show at age 68 or whatever the guys are at now. And they continue to release new albums that are selling huge. They're merchandising and that, you know, they had a Scooby-Doo movie last year that was huge around Halloween it just never ends. And so when they put out an album called monster, I think maybe three years ago. And I was on the crew that did the tour book for them. It was like a magazine that you could buy at all those tour stops. It was also available through their website. And, and I did some stuff in there. That's when it began. And the seed was planted for that. And then that eventually grew into what is now the, the official kiss magazine. The first issue just came out maybe a month ago and that was intended to be their their tour book for the summer tour that <laughs> is over already. <laughs> uh, so it, so it's really kind of more like a commercial for the band. But from issue two on, it's going to be a really adventurous, fun, all encompassing magazine about the history of the band and the cultural impact around the world, to the merch, to the 
all the members and their stories that have been in it, there's so much ground to cover and there's so many people who are just rabid for this band. So oddly enough for a band that's had comic books for decades, toys, dolls, makeup, t-shirts, every coffins, condoms, they have (laughs) never had a regular magazine until 2016. So really go figure. Are the condoms shaped like um, Gene Simmons's tongue? Uh, see, I bet they are. I'm just going to assume. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to have to assume that, too. I probably won't ever find out, but... Uh... Yeah, I, no interest, yeah, but... <laughs> God bless you, good, good Lord. Yeah. There's somebody out there, though, that's just dying to try one on. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, have you got to meet the guys from KISS? Yeah, I've I interviewed some of the guys for uh for the first magazine a few years ago and just this summer we went um my fiance and I went and saw him in Michigan and we saw and we hung out with him for a bit there and then like a week later went to and we went and saw him in Des Moines and got to see him there for a little bit too so they're really good guys. They're real sweethearts. The main photographer for the magazine, Brian Stewart, has traveled around to some different events with them and got to just sort of be part of the entourage and really, really just charming dudes who love what they do and love the fans. And there's no reason why any of them have to do this at this. That's part of the amazing thing here. We're not talking about like the band Rat, who <laughs> is playing in like, I mean, no offense to Rat, but like, you know, they're playing like, local bars around the country and stuff they probably need the money yeah kiss they're loaded they are all millionaires everybody who's been a part of that band unless they've squandered it is doing very well most particularly gene and paul who are the main guys they don't need to do anything let alone record and most definitely let alone tour which is a a grueling daunting very demanding physically and mentally and you know with your family and all that there's no reason at almost 70 years old that they should be doing this but it's just in their blood and i have so much respect for that so the people who think it's all a carnival act to sell merchandise if you zoom out a little bit you realize there's something really unique happening there something that's akin to like aerosmith and these other bands that have been around for so many decades they're not doing it because they need to earn money they're doing it because they need to do it it's just part of them it's built into them and i i have so much respect for these guys for that reason among others yeah yeah that, that's cool that's cool and it is it's for a lot of people performing or be doing their art is like an addiction that they have to keep doing it's not i agree it's not all just about just about making the money no and you and i think a true artist can't turn it off I mean, I mean there are many true artists who who can't help but have it shut off for them you know some people who just write one book and then disappear yeah but uh but i think for for a lot of people especially if they have the means in other words if their if their situation isn't compromised somehow where a painter loses his hands or something dramatic like that i really think that that artists will continue in some way to create regardless if anyone's paying attention or not. And kiss just has the benefit of a kajillion people around the world who are hungry for any and everything from them forever in perpetuity. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I draw this line back to one of the great examples that I always give and I'm, I'm a, I'm a big old school jazz buff and 
I think about guys like Louis Armstrong, who a lot of modern music owes so much, but most certainly jazz. And Louis Armstrong would have been playing horn on a riverboat up and down the Mississippi, regardless of if anyone knew who he was. He was a guy in a boat plying his trade, like I used that term earlier. It's just part of him. We're just lucky enough that someone sat thought at some point to say, hey, Louis, would you mind coming in this room doing what you do in front of a microphone for a little bit? Yeah. Like, that's a gift. That's, it's this amazing, fragile moment that was transformative in ways that we can't imagine. But this artist would have been doing that regardless. I can't tell you how many people I've seen independent films from. I wish that there was enough money and enough means in the world to give all of them everything that they would need to ultimately realize their dream projects because there is mind-boggling, beautiful, and incredible art of all types being created in dorm rooms, bedrooms, the on break, in the break room at wherever. I mean, people just do it whenever they can. They can't help themselves. And it's not about pro, it's not about product. It's not about quantity. And it's not necessarily even about marketing for most of these, for most people who are creative spirits. I think it's just about doing what comes naturally to them. It's like breathing. And I have so much respect for that and so much admiration. It's just humbling to be near people who can awe you with their hands and their eyes and their mind or their voice or whatever it might be. Like just something organic of them, not something they purchased or that's yeah. filtered or the whatever, it's like just of them. I just am so obsessed with that. I agree. That's definitely, definitely a trait worth admiring, you know, especially yeah. from a creative perspective. Speaking of creativity and stuff, we've already covered a lot of the ways that you are, you know, the writing, the podcast, we've mentioned film a little bit. Um, one thing I'd like to mention before we go on is that one of my past guests and somebody that you've worked with a bit kind of set up to help set up this interview, uh, Dan Hample. He's he's on episode two of Uncontained, and you worked with him in, I know, Demonica. Yeah, that was one. Yeah, that, I think that might be the most recent thing that we did together. That's a film that I produced that prescribed films. Um did it's a feature film that Dan's the lead in essentially. I mean, it's an ensemble film, but it really becomes his film very quickly. And I met Dan years ago, just doing grip work for some local shorts. And I remember, I mean, like standing up on ladders as he's mounting a light, I'm holding onto his belt loop, like his <laughs> belt buckle to try to keep him from falling down. Just like, I, I mean, Dan is a force of nature. He is, he's not only a beautiful human being, he's also incredibly gifted. He's driven in a way that blows every single production entity that he ever works with away. He is boundlessly creative. And he's one of these people like we're talking about here. He's the type of person who's going to be creating something always. And he's best with his hands and he's best with his body and, and what he can do without having anyone have to give him direction as an actor, for example. I mean, I know him on both sides of the camera and he works, he works just as hard if he's schlepping cables 
as he does when he's bringing a character to life. And I think that's something really special because for a lot of folks, there's either no crossing that stream or there's a, I'm finally away from the production side. Now I can finally make my acting dream come true. Like if you were to call (laughs) Dan right now, right now and say, Hey man, I need a grip to come and like rig some lights for me for this thing this weekend. You game. He'd be so about it just as much as if you called and said, I need a lead for this, whatever. He'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. So he's, I I love that he's been on your show. I love that he was the reason why this whole thing happened because there are a few people in this world that I adore as much as him. He's really a special person who's been through a lot of shit himself, by the way, and has come through with, I think an even bigger heart than he had going in. So love you, Dan, if you're listening. Yes. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for setting this up. And uh, for those of you who want to know, it is episode two of Uncontained. And yeah. the, the title of it is Howling at the Moon, Taking a Dump in the Front Yard. So the the <laughs> title can definitely give you a little idea of what might come up in that show. Um, uh, so great. <laughs> but yeah it was definitely one of uh definitely a fun interview to do and he's actually set me up with one other interview as well john lear the geico caveman oh wow <laughs> i know i was like what really the geico caveman thank you dude you are awesome so that's so great yeah so i don't know what else what else do you have going on right now justin any uh Anything you want to promote real quick or? Um, I have my buddy Lee Gambin is wrapping up a book on the, actually a two volume book on the howling film franchise, the howling werewolf films. And he asked me to contribute some pieces to that. So I'm in there. I was in a book of his that came out, I think about a year ago called we can be who we are, which is all about the, the musicals of the 1970s, like the rock and roll musicals of the 70s. Okay. And I did a, I contributed a bit in there on Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park to bring it back to Kiss. But for the Howling thing, I wrote, I wrote a lot about all the sequels in the Howling franchise for that book, and I think that's coming out maybe this winter. So Lee Gambin, G A M B I N, and the Howling, and I don't know the exact date but i think it's going to be like a volume one and volume two kind of a thing but that's on its way out okay and um i am still uh finishing touches on a collection of short stories and poetry called ghosts of love and my friend my late friend nick kushner kushner did the uh, cover artwork for that and hoping to have that out for by spring there's a couple of short films projects that i'm getting underway here one of them is only dream of me which has taken a few years to get happening but that's in queue right now and what is what is that one about it's about a boy and a ghost it's about seeing something that at first terrifies you and then becomes sort of an obsession of yours and uh it's I started, it's a long story with it, but I started work on the film a few years ago, did a fundraising campaign and stuff, and then didn't quite make my goal, but I made enough to get the monster suit built. Eric Fox, 
who was on, I think, season two or three of Face Off on Sci-Fi. It's like okay. a makeup effects contest show. <clears throat> he was like the runner-up on there like a few years ago. Anyway, I used to hire Eric for all my events when I was doing stuff in L.A. Um, and to do makeup for people and stuff. And so I had him do the suit for this monster that's, that's at the heart of the film here. So we made enough to get the suit made, and that's out in L.A. right now, basically ready to go. Uh, and they're, without getting into details, I, I do on one of my podcast episodes, I think maybe even the second one or something, but if you want to know. But a number of things have happened in the interim that have sort of continuously sort of knocked the film off track. But now I'm pulling it back on. Okay. And really want to get this thing shot. So it's, it's going to be a beautiful little film about this kid and a ghost and him finding himself and his inner strength. And so I'm excited about that. That sounds very interesting. I, when, when that gets made, you'll have to post it on my, uh, on my podcast page or let me know when I will post it. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. I appreciate so, that very much. Yeah. yeah, definitely, man. I'm here to help support my guests as much as uh, anything on this show. Um, yeah, it's really appreciated. What advice would you have for somebody looking to get started or take that next step in either writing or in film? On the writing front, I well, for all of this, and this is something I always say, like if I'm at a film festival or a writing thing, to, is that you decide how you, how you need or want to measure your success. Because everybody wants to be ultimately successful in whatever they're doing. But if you don't know what that level is, then it's hard to gauge where you are and hard to motivate yourself. Because motivation is tough. When you're an artist, motivation is tough. Especially if it's in something that involves so much. Uh, on the film front, collaboration, for example. It takes a lot to steer an army. And that has to be at its heart driven by um, an unyielding dedication to it. And that's not always a pretty thing. So I remember once I was doing the, a, a panel in at this festival and there's a guy, a couple of people in the crowd who stood up and they felt that indie filmmakers don't really get a fair shake. Like we never get a shot. We never get a chance. No one's ever going to pay attention to what we're creating. You know, how am I going to make my, epic if I can't get the budget to do it like if someone doesn't find me and give me the money and I was like well I mean it it depends on what you're aiming for because if you're aiming to be Steven Spielberg that is a lofty goal and that's a very that's one of a handful of people in history that have ever been able to achieve that yeah that probably shouldn't be your first goal right but that this guy <laughs> for example brought that name up he's like I want my jaws and I'm like well Okay, but you have to think about, for a lot of people, um, shooting a two-minute short is climbing the mountain. That's at the top. They stand proudly with the flag planted, like, hell yes, I did this. Some people writing one page a day of a script or a short story or writing a poem or picking up the brush and doing a background on a mat, whatever it might be, like, that is monumental. Every step of the process is success. There's no end goal when you're an artist. 
outside of just continuing to do what you love and continuing to create. So what I really encourage people to do is to temper your expectation and think about what you're really looking for with what you're doing and more importantly than anything else, why you're doing it. Because if, you, if you're really doing it for attention, if you're really doing it to get noticed, there are a lot of ways to do that in this world that don't have to involve a $10,000 budget and 50 people and coordinating food and bathrooms for two weeks. You know, like yeah. there's a lot of things you can do in this world that don't have to involve that if you're in it for that. And if you are more, more power to you, but just find your own level of success and find comfort there. I mean, really, that it's writing, shooting anything, recording anything, all of it is amazing. And so few people do all of it. People who love it and read about it all the time, we live in it. And it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we're still a little pocket of this world. Yeah. That the majority of folks are not having a podcast like you do or aren't. Uh, working their ass off on every production they can get their hands on like Dan does. The majority of people aren't doing that. And that's not to slight the majority of people. That's just saying everybody has different things that motivate them and drive them. So let that special thing be whatever it is to you on your own terms. And don't worry about what the people around you are doing. In terms of literally getting into writing, it depends on what you're looking to write. But let's say you want to write for magazines because I can speak to that. The best way to do it, especially in the age of social media and there being really no veil left between the audience and the people who are making the entertainment. Yeah. Find a piece, write a piece, make sure it's strong, and then reach out to an editor or editors with a strong letter, an email, uh, whatever it might be, and ask them for the opportunity, ask them if you could have the opportunity to have their eyes for a few minutes. That's exactly how it happened with me. That's exactly how it happened. I mean, I had been, everything that I've done over the years, whether it was having a radio show that I had, working for the newspapers, I used to work for some weekly newspapers in Illinois. The first music magazine called The Rag that I used to write for many moons ago. Okay. And then on through everything now, through all the different magazines and books and stuff, it's, it's just because you can't be afraid to ask. And you can't be afraid to say, here's me. Because the only person who's going to sell you is you. And you, you're no, you don't even need to be a salesperson. All you need to do is just be true to yourself. And when you walk up and hand someone your writing, let's say, that's the purest, most unfiltered way to say, here's what I can do for you. And you present it in a professional way or whatever way is in line with whatever they're doing. If it's a fanzine, you don't need a formal letter. If you're trying to write fiction for Playboy, you're going to want to send, uh, uh, you know, like a formal letter to them. But okay. just just do it. It's about just doing it. And my, my buddy Mike Saunders, who's with Prescribed Films, he wrote Demonica. And he and Jason Bollinger directed it, the one that Dan's the lead in. Mike always says this to people whenever he's asked that question, like, how do I get into film? What's the best way to do this? He says, you, whatever you have, if it's your phone or if it's a, an, a camera, just shoot, just do it. Don't worry about budget. Don't worry about lights or means shoot, whatever you feel like shooting. And then at the end of the day, do with it what you want. Don't sit and plan for months 
and worry and stress over what you don't have. Instead, follow that impulse, dive in with what you do have, and just make something happen. That's the best way to do it with writing, too, I think. The film side's wow. a little different. The best way on film is to, uh, and Dan would be a great resource for a lot of people on this if they're in Iowa area in particular, but just for general advice probably, is to crew, work on some crews. Watch, show up willing to do literally anything. So don't feel bad about someone needing you to run and grab the food for the crew or tear down after the shoot or something like that. Like You're going to learn so much serving any role on a film set that you're only going to grow and you're going to grow really fast. The more of these things you do. And especially if you offer yourself into different roles on there. So do catering, yeah. do whatever it might be, pushing the dolly down the track, whatever it might be. Cause all of it is just an education. It's like free university. In fact, most places in most cases, rather you're getting paid at the very least food for the very thing that you really want to do. And you're doing it with people who are also there because of their passion. And that's pretty fucking rare. Because yeah. even when you go to university, most people who are there don't want to be. Very true. So uh, that is some awesome advice that you've dropped on us. And how do you how do you promote yourself? Like, how do you do anything special to get yourself out to other magazines or get your films out uh, in front of people's eyes? I I don't know that I'm very good at that. I. I struggled with it for a long time, not really knowing um, how to go about it. I mean, it really came into its own for me. Once I got into Fangoria and started doing, like being sent around to do some appearances for them, um, that's when it started to get a little bit easier for me. Yeah. And it was, and once I started to really diversify what I was working in, so not just, I never wanted to be, Fangoria's Justin Beam or whatever with Justin Beam from blank. Like it was really important to me from the outset to just be me because I knew that I wasn't going to be beholden to any singular thing. So I wasn't just going to be like the studio system doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's the same kind of mentality. Like freelance is essentially what's happening with all these folks who are in entertainment now. So to completely marry yourself to a brand is kind of foolhardy in a way because you just yeah. never know. Like if I would have done that with Fangoria, I'd be crying right now <laughs> because the mag dead for all intents. I mean, I, I wish it wasn't the case, but it's just it's in really bad shape and hasn't been in print for like a year, which breaks my heart. But at the same time, I look back and go bullet dodged because I had a hard time with them being my home team in the beginning. When Famous Monsters approached me at Comic-Con this one year, they pulled me aside for a meeting and they're like, we really want you to come join us. And I'm like, I will write for you, but I'm not going to leave Fangoria. And that was kind of the moment where I'm like, maybe I can just make this a thing where I can do whatever I want. I don't need to worry so much about sides because there don't seem to be any. And yeah. the, the competition is always going to be there inherently when you're working in anything. But I've written for all these magazines that most people would assume you can't cross those borders, but I'm here to say there really are none. And so in all of that, as I'm writing for all these competing entities, as I got on at the production company, Trancus International, which is the, the parent company of the Halloween franchise and stuff, 
like I, I and then started doing the producing for like Anchor Bay and Shout Factory and these other things. I just realized it was it was too random to be anything other than just me. And this was a, also something I had to decide with my podcast. It still makes me wince to hear the name because it's just my name. Yeah. And I it, and it feels re- really sort of self-serving a lot of this. Even doing like website updates for me is hard because it feels so self-absorbed. But I'm I'm it for me. I don't have a brand outside of me. And it's not a brand, it's just me. There's no calculation behind any of it outside of I just want to keep doing things that I enjoy to, that make people happy. Yeah, and if you're going to be Justin Beam of something, you might as well be Justin Beam of Justin Beam. Doesn't that make sense, though? You know it what does. I mean? Like, well, okay, so I sat forever. And my fiance will attest to this, that I was throwing names around back and forth, and nothing seemed to make sense because I have a lot of friends with shows. Like my, buddies, uh, my buddy Greg Morgan, he has a show called Land of the Creeps. He's okay. all horror, front to back. Like uh, every episode has a format, and it's all focused on horror films. And my show is a lot more wide-ranging than that, and it's going to be over time, too. And I don't do reviews. It's interview-based. and yeah. So it's more of like a late-night talk show than it is sort of a, an interview show, or rather a review show that's just about one type of thing. So it's not like I can call it like the bucket of blood with Justin <laughs> or something, whatever it might be. Curdled screams. With... <laughs> right, right, right. Bleeding. Ear... No, I got nothing. I'm just Let's just keep going with these. No, all right. We can, yeah. we can move on. <laughs> but I, so I, I eventually one day I'm just like, honey, how bad does it sound if we just keep it as me? And that just seemed to make sense. And it still feels kind of self-serving and it still feels weird to me, but I don't know any other way to approach it because nothing else seemed to make sense. So how do I market myself? This is a very roundabout way to get back to that long path to say that I just try to be consistent on all my social media. So I don't have code names. It's not like my Twitter handle is like horror dude. 22 or something like that. It's check just my name. Check out these abs 33. Yeah, right. That's what it was. I <laughs> check out these abs 33. It used to be that. But then I, I, yeah, I got sick of making people feel bad about themselves because I'm so ripped. Yeah, I had to, yeah. I get that all the time, too. So I just, it's just my name. So it's just like everything slash just my first and last name. And I'm... And I'm really conversational too, because I love like what you and I are doing, where we just have a conversation. And I think in my mind, that's kind of the purpose of social media, as opposed to just like, there's a, there's a big part of it for me that's promoting things when I have something to promote. Yeah. But it, 99% of the time, if I'm writing about something, I'm saying like, hey, I just read this book. What do, your, what do you guys think about this theory? Or what do you guys think about this writer or director or... And then there's these amazing conversations begin that I usually don't even dip into after that because what people are doing is infinitely more fascinating than anything I could contribute. And it just becomes this communal, wonderful thing. So that's my favorite thing about social media. And that's why I love Facebook above all is because you can get in depth and you see threads of people who will be talking for days underneath something, (laughs) just sharing things people have met. They've done movies together. People have become friends, all kinds of stuff through social media. And 
it's a really amazing thing. So I don't spend money on marketing. I'm terrible at promoting my show. I, I appear on podcasts and stuff, which is my favorite place to go and do that. Yeah. I don't buy ad space and stuff. I just, I'm just me. And if people find me, I think that's wonderful. I will, I under promote everything. <laughs> that's why <what> my fundraising <laughs> campaign failed for my short film. I think is because I just, I was so timid. I'm like, ah, I just posted a week ago about this. I can't possibly bother people again. Oh I God, I know so how bad. that is. I know how that it's is. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. You know, you just got to get over it, though, you know, and get out there and do it like but post some posts that aren't just about your show, too. And then people will be more fine with it, I think. I need to do that on my if you were to look at my Facebook page for my podcast, it's literally just here's the announcement of the new show. There's no because yeah. my con- but you look at my Facebook page for me. And it's it's all conversation with people. It's like promoting nothing, basically. So. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. I'm not very good at it. How do I promote myself? I just do my thing and yeah, and I'm just grateful for those who show up and join in. All right, perfect. I'm gonna ask two more questions. We're a little bit over the time that you uh that you said you had to get out of sure. here at. So I'm just gonna bump it down to two last questions. One sure. is special for the time of year it is. What does Halloween mean to you? Ever since I was little, it's been my favorite time of the year for a lot of reasons. If you think about when you're a kid and uh, everything is, it's a constant change that cycles around you. And it seems like everything in this world is so adult oriented. You're almost like a background player, which is how most kids are relegated in film in general. Anyway, I always felt that fall in particular Halloween was the kid's holiday. Because even Christmas didn't feel that way. Like, yeah, you're getting gifts and stuff, but the parents weren't usually dressing up for Halloween. And they weren't saying, wear your nice clothes to go to this party for pictures, like at Christmas. Like, it was so, the structure of all that other is gone. It is boiled down to kids making the call on what they want to dress up as, which is usually making their dreams and fantasies come true. Yeah. Hanging out with other kids, running around, free reign, which is the first real... Um, I guess untethering from parents is trick or treating in a lot of ways, and so it's a, it's a, 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 a moment I think in childhood to go out for the first time, and then every year to have, to know to look forward to that, and grow with your friends through that I think is huge, and so I think that there's a lot of ownership and there's a lot of nostalgia that is born out of being a kid at Halloween and in October this time of year. And then as time has gone on and me working in the side of entertainment that I have, it's obviously very rooted in this time of year. And it, this is like, this is the big season. So um, it's always when there's a lot more releases coming out. There's usually video specials and rental specials at places or, you know, Best Buy finally stocks a few horror movies this time of year, things like that. Uh, it's just sort of like in, if people for people who love plants and trees springtime is the the blossoming and the flowering for people who love the macabre and spooky stories and dying trees <laughs> fall in october <laughs> and halloween is that time of the year it's like the blossoming yes. for us and it's a really really it's it's always such a refreshing time for me and i just absolutely adore it nothing makes me happier 
then starting to see all this stuff show up on shelves like at cvs you're walking through and see all these chintzy little decorations i just eat it up i love it but and, i'll get upset when i start seeing if i start seeing christmas decorations before halloween decorations oh yeah yeah that's happening already it's getting and earlier they, and earlier they're coming out simultaneously almost now yeah we were in a store the other night looking for cool antler crowns which i bought and wear a lot <laughs> and looking through this store like where's all the halloween stuff it's like we're three weeks away yet from from halloween and it, it, there's christmas all around us yeah. so then and you know that's another that's a side of this that i think halloween is marginalized in a lot of ways even though it's the second biggest financial holiday for retailers in the country and it's it's marginalized in a very similar way as horror is, even though they're both sort of backbones for retailers and or cinemas for in, in the film world. Horror films are reliable in that way. The the fan base is always sort of this pocket. And for Halloween and the horror fans and all that, it's like this is the one little like we get a few weeks of the year, the rest of the year, everybody else has their time. This is our time for this. So there's an exclusivity that comes along with it. And going in the stores, as disappointing as it is to walk in there and say, where the hell is all the Halloween stuff? To find it, to find that little corner in the back of the room with all of it, it just that little taste is enough. It's, <laughs> it's enough to sort of like, like in the Grinch, the heart grows three times. You know, you walk in and you, you see it, you smell it, you hear the cackling of the skulls and all this whatever stuff around you. And it's just really, you know, it's... It's heartwarming and it's awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Couldn't have summed it up better myself. Um, all right. I have one more question for you and then we'll go ahead and wrap this up. It's the title yeah, question of the show. Justin Beam, how do you live uncontained? I do so by obeying my heart. And that means that throughout, through, throughout, the successes I've had and the failures and coming through the challenging things like we were talking about earlier with the accident and stuff to relationships creatively, like relationships with my family, like just everything. I am going at every single thing that I do that I'm invested in with, and with total attention paid to what my heart is telling me and and that has made my life a lot harder i think in a lot of ways but it has also given me the most amazing gifts in life and and so i so i, I it's not that i have disregard for convention necessarily but for whatever reason a lot of the things that are more conventional just aren't a part of my circulation they don't um like i don't i don't worry about fashion i don't worry about um cars and a lot of material things and i, I my relationship like my relationship with my fiance is paramount my my family paramount that that trumps everything that there's nothing in this world nothing that could ever come anywhere near 
the importance of that. And, and when you have that understanding, when you approach each day with that kind of understanding of love and of compassion and of being loved and wanting to give like that, then your, your perspective on the world is a much purer perspective than if you're allowing a lot of white noise to get between you and the end of the day. And so I'm really grateful that for whatever reasons, my, my focus is pretty, even I, I do a lot of things, but my, my ultimate focus is, is really just on two things. And it's just a hundred percent heart. And, um, Without love, I'd be nothing. All right. Thank you very much, Justin, for coming on the show today. I am glad, like, your favorite creatures growing up, you were able to find the light in the dark and uh, have a lot of good come from the accident that you were in. But I have one more thing that I have my guests do. Justin, will you do me the honor of signing off the show today? I am Justin Beam, and I live uncontained. Thanks again to Justin Beam for coming on and talking with me today, and Dan Hample for help setting this interview up. Well, we're thanking people. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to go to iTunes, to go to Stitcher, to go to SoundCloud. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. That, those are the only things I ask of you. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. And, you know, if you're out doing something that's uncontained, please capture it. Send me a video. Send me a picture. Hashtag it with live uncontained. Yes, hashtag live uncontained. I want to know what you're doing to live uncontained. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, live uncontained.